The following is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. We can't say, well, that's not me or we got bad apples. This is always us as a whole. We are sorry. I think to hear you say you're sorry is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. Thank you. Right now, the country and the world is hurting. And this is a 400 plus years of hurt. And I know a lot of people say, I understand. Well, no, I live it. I'm black. And we need to have a dialogue and talk about it. And now he wants to be sure black voices are heard within the Brotherhood in Blue. Welcome back, Taking Chances fam. It's your lovely host, Justin. And Burnett. And you. So in this topic, I thought it'd be really cool to kind of talk about a subject that is kind of becoming more on the rise lately. I feel like it's something that we sort of encounter within our history as of late. So I wanted to kind of touch a little bit about just law enforcement and especially talk about Black people in law enforcement, because I feel like we don't tend to get perspectives of people of color within the law enforcement and just really kind of hear what they go through, their thoughts on different things, because there's kind of just this overall broad view of how people within our community look at officers within the law. So, you know, I feel like it'd be a great thing if we have a little bit of perspective from somebody that's within our age group that's kind of in the force. But I kind of feel like Burnett has someone special in mind. Of course, you already know. I mean... (laughs) So today's guest is going to be my line sister. And for those who don't know, I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so my line sister, Tatiana, is joining us today. And she's going to discuss her experience and just her perspective on some of the topics involving law enforcement. And just to introduce her, Tatiana is from Brooklyn, New York. She holds a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Bridgeport. And as I stated, she's a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And she always wanted to be in law enforcement. Um, she always talked about to us about her, her career uh, goals and aspirations. And that's something that she's always wanted to do. And she's been a police officer since January of 2018. So next year would make five years. So that's a big milestone. So let's welcome our girl, Tati. Thank you for having me, guys. Of course. Happy to have you here, sis. Definitely happy to have you. And I definitely want to say, you know, thank you for all that you do for our community. You know, it's tough being an officer nowadays. So thank you for taking on the charge and really going in to represent our community well and also to protect and serve that community, too. Absolutely. Especially with COVID, the pandemic, everything has just went to another level with that. So I can, I mean, you guys are first responders at the front line. So we absolutely commend you for everything that you've done and what police officers have done. Um, It's greatly appreciated. So thank you for your service. Thank you guys. (laughs) You're welcome. So for now, I'm gonna hold a point you just mentioned right there, but I kind of want to get into Tati's background a little bit. Tati, Mm -hmm. can you walk us through you know, what made you want to be an officer? What different things sort of drove you along that career path and what things, you know, are you working on now within this role? Okay, so I wouldn't say I always wanted to be a cop, but growing up, like I went through the whole career, the whole career choice thing. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. Growing up, I used to always say, I want to be a judge. I want to be a lawyer or something like that. And then once I got older and I realized how much school it was and like, 
that's definitely not for me. I'm sorry, but no, kudos to you, Burnett, but it wasn't happening. And then, um, of course, you watch all the TV shows and things like that. And I'm like, all right, well, law enforcement seems pretty cool. And when I was younger, my mom used to always tell me that she wanted to be a police officer really badly. And when she met my dad, like the whole Jamaican side of my family, my dad's side were telling her, like, you're not doing that. Like, you're it'll, a little bitty person. You're not doing that. Um, people aren't going to take you seriously. And my mom's like, okay, no, I'm not going to do it. She gave up on that. And that's always been in the back of my mind, too. Like, oh, mommy said she wanted to do it. So I'm not crazy for thinking, like, oh, that's a good career path. And then, like, I always like doing community service. I always like giving back. Um... I used to live in Canarsie and that was an everyday thing where you see the guys on the block getting stopped by the police. You see how people react to the police. You see people's mindsets toward the police. And I didn't really like it. And I've never had a negative impact as a child with a police officer. Like a, um, I never had a bad reaction or interaction. So I'm like, you know what, maybe they're all not like that. So that was always in the back of my mind too. I ended up going to school while I was in school. I started applying for the exams to get into different police departments. The goal was supposed to be FBI and work my way up. So of course I would have to start local. So here I am in my first step, NYPD. Um, like you guys said, it's, it's four years now. Next year we'll make five. Um, it's not what I thought it would be, but I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So it's, I'm just pushing through, basically. Um, I feel like you asked me something else, and I like went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, it's totally. It's 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 great tangent you went on. Um, I kind of wanted to know about what some of the things that you're working on within your role as a Black woman officer. Um, I asked that question because a lot of people don't know that my grandmother was actually an officer of the Force for Bridgeport, and she worked on. And besides her typical duties as an officer, she ran a, a foundation called. Well, she. In addition to that foundation, Spices of Life, that she did for the city of Bridgeport, she was also a D.A.R.E. instructor. So she went to different schools teaching about the D.A.R.E. program and also within her Spices of Life program, took girls within the community and gave them activities and just to kind of pair them up with different mentors that were doing good things in the communities. So what types of things have you worked on within your role as an officer? Um, definitely not that good stuff that your grandma did. I love to hear that. Thank you, grandma, for your work. Um, let's see. So I wouldn't really say I had an impact in that area because there wasn't really much for me to do there. The very few 911 calls that I did got that I did get with um, people of color. Um, I believe I did the best that I can. There were little instances where. I will find somebody like there will be somebody and they're just like looking for a familiar black face and i'm like oh this is where i can finally do my thing like this is where it's like i'm not really doing much but just being here and saying hi and be like i hear you and i'm like here for you and i hear you and i'm trying to help you that makes a big difference and you can also see like when i've arrived to 911 jobs and they'll talk to my other co-workers first and there's like you know it's kind of like that tension and then you just pop your head by and then they just see a person of color and you could just legit feel like the heat in their face rise like, okay, hi, let me tell you what's going on now. Cause I know they ain't listening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's happened so many times. Um, right now I'm in a unit, um, they keep changing the name of it. So it used to be anti-crime. Everybody in Brooklyn will call them the D's. So 
That's the cops that drive around in unmarked cars. They're typically in their plain clothes, um, always doing the car stops, just hopping out on people. People say we kidnap people. That's not what we do because you see them hop out, throw you in a car, drive off. It's not that. <laughs> it doesn't sound as bad as it is. But um, in this role now, I'm not specifically assigned to one precinct. So I cover the whole lower Manhattan. So it's probably six different precincts that I'm in every single day. Sometimes I'm, I'm in my uniform. Sometimes I may not be. Um, now in this role, I can see how it is a lot more stereotypical. And I don't want to say racist, but sometimes it can be very racist. So when we're looking for things in patterns and crime patterns, um, individuals that look specific ways, a lot of the times when you hear the description, it's black male. 99.9% of the time, it's black male. So you guys probably heard the things that was going on in Soho and the city, like people running into stores, grabbing things and whatever, stealing. It will be that, and you, they're automatically going to assume it's going to be a black male. Black male in high fashion. Black, and it's just like, not every black male that you see in high fashion stole from those stores. But now it's a target that every black male wearing something nice or getting out of a very nice car, they probably did steal. And it's just like, it's not that. But that's where a lot of times I've gotten into arguments with people. Like, I get it. I get the description that we're looking for, but you got to give people slack. Like, you have to talk to people like they're humans, not like everybody's a perk. And that's where there's a big disconnect with what I do now and my coworkers and talking to the community because we'll do all these car stops and it's little things like um, right now there's a big license, temporary license plate thing going on. And before you go a little further, for the listeners who are not familiar with law enforcement or with the language, I just want you to um, explain what a perp is. So perp is short for a perpetrator basically um that's really all that it is like kind of like yeah that's really all it is short for perpetrator so somebody with a criminal background um a person of interest in some type of crime that's basically all that it is and you'll sometimes hear like police jargon when they say oh you look like a perp mm-hmm. till this day i'm still trying to figure out what exactly that means because it's racist as hell literally <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, because they'll say you look like a perp, but it's like, what does a perp look like? Right. As a black man, I'm a, I'm a black, so I'm a perp, or I'm dressed a certain way, so I'm a perp. Like that's very weird, but okay. Mm-hmm. And that's literally how it goes. You driving in a very nice car, oh, he looks like a perp. And I like I will be in the passenger seat sometimes, and somebody say like, oh, we're gonna do a car stop on, and they look like a perp. Oh, this car looks perpy. Like what? For why? Like, what exactly? Like, let's talk this through. Like, why are we doing that? Why? Like, I want to understand your mindset. And it's not to stop you from doing what you're doing. But I want to understand why we're doing that. And maybe by me asking these questions, it will make you think twice. Like, you know what? Yeah, we'll just watch it instead of just jumping out. And it's just like, okay, maybe we just slow that down five seconds. Because if you hopped out with that mentality that you had, this could have went left like this. So, yeah, let's just think. Let's slow this down. Maybe they are doing something suspicious. Maybe they're not. But there's no need for us to just jump out and do what you want to do just because you have this mentality that a perpetrator or he's or this person looks this way, so they're about to commit a crime. People could be shopping. People could just be going outside. They could be going out on dates. Some people dress the way they dress because they like it. Doesn't necessarily mean that 
just because they look like a uh, perpetrator that dressed like this in the past doesn't mean that they're about the same life. Mm-hmm. It's a headache and all I can say is I've tried my best to put my mentality and make them think a little more before they do things. I try to add that in there, slow things down. One thing I do take pride in is whenever we do arrest a person of color, I do make sure I speak to them on my own. So we're like here with each other, like, let me explain to you what's going on. You're being arrested for this, or we stopped you because of this. I apologize for the hostility or the tension. I'm gonna speak you, I'm gonna speak you through this every step of the way so you can understand what's going on. And I don't necessarily want you to think, yo, they're coming for you because of your color or they're coming for you because of specific things. I try and do that. But if I have nothing to say and or I don't know why they're doing that, I'm gonna let you know too. Like, honestly, I don't know what's going on. When I do figure it out, I'm gonna let you know. But I feel like that has made a very good relationship with people where, again, I said it's the comfortability. There's not much my little self can do. I'm not in rank. I'm not a sergeant or a lieutenant where I can make the big decisions. But if I can make you feel comfortable in this worst day of your life, I've done my job, basically. I think you brought up a lot of a lot of great points of what you just said. But I think something I want to kind of highlight is a lot, you know, Burnett has given us a lot of insight in her legal experience as a black woman working within the law. I want to kind of ask you, you know, why, what, I guess, what is the standing point or what kind of, like, what kind of things do you feel like black people in the law enforcement bring to the table when working as officers? One thing I like that you said that I feel like not a lot of officers of color are you know really doing is really talking to the person, perp, as you would say, kind of making them feel comfortable working in the situation. Like, why do you feel like those kinds of things are really important? within today's times? Because um, we, I know the our, our community, the black community, we've never been close with the police. We've never really had that, oh yeah, police, hey, look, hi. No, it's the police and it's like, oh, they about to bother us. Oh, what do they want? And I feel like you have to make people feel like they're a person because other people, other police officers aren't. And darn, I'm sorry. What's your question again? <laughs> I'm about to start repeating everything I just said. Oh. I know you said um, about other black police officers um, making other people feel comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So okay. it's kind of like, why do, you, why do you feel like, so I said that to, because I think that what you just said was very powerful in that as a black woman, and, you know, being an officer of the law, you do your part to kind of kind of make that person feel like, you know, they're seen, they're heard and they're valued when there's a lot of history within our community and law enforcement that kind of kind of doesn't represent that. I mean, I feel like that's the first time besides my grandmother and some of the other officers that I've grown up with have said something like that. And it's very one, it's refreshing to hear that from someone within our age group, but two, also to hear someone that's actively making that a value within her line of work. So I kind of wanted to kind of get a perspective of why you hold that value so strong to you while going out there and doing what you do. Interactions from young that I've seen with people with the police and it's never really been positive. So I really do take pride in being different. I mean, I know my small self is not gonna make a great impact or as much of an impact that I would want to. I can't change the entire department, but I know that my little things can 
do something for somebody like if i can make one person's day or if i can make one family feel secure then i feel like i've done my job because it has to start from the inside it can't like <laughs> i can't do anything there's actually a lieutenant on the job that i follow on instagram i have not had the chance to meet him but if you look him up his name is like lieutenant raymond i can't even remember his last name i'm gonna find it and i'm i he's amazing so he speaks about the racism and the things that has happened to him getting on the job while he was on the job um things that he's went into things that happened to him outside of being on the job while on the job um and every he's a lieutenant so he speaks on everything that's happened to him ranking up down to them trying to make him cut his locks off while he was in the yeah, academy. I've him on the news before. Mm-hmm. I know who you're referring to. He is amazing. And you don't meet a lot of black officers like him that want to speak out. Like he's he's in the he's part of community affairs. So he's in the community, speaking to the community. He's trying to speak to the cops. He's trying to do so much. And I believe there's a lawsuit he has out right now yeah. that that he's like yo these people are racist and he's not scared to speak up but he's just just, it's so empowering to see because you're one of many but you're the only person that's really like putting your life your job your everything on the line just to try and make things right and it's people like him that do it for me that makes me feel like you know what like i just said i can't change the department but it's no you know what i actually can i just gotta take that step take that sacrifice like he is and really speak up so what I do now when I can, and when I see something and I know it's not right, I'm gonna say something and I know I'm gonna get the backlash for it. It always happens, no matter what I say, no matter what my tone is, me as a black woman, it's always gonna come back to me, but I have to stop thinking, oh, I don't wanna hear nothing, so I'm gonna be quiet. Closed mm-hmm. mouths don't get said. Nothing's gonna change if I just look in mind my business. So I've been trying well, to do a little better with that. You gonna say mm-hmm. something? Yeah, no, I was just going to commend you for even uh, your your viewpoint and just the idea of knowing what you know, but still going out into the world and trying to make it better and even just easing the tensions or easing the hostility of those that you interact with as you go out and step into the world while they're going through this process that is uncomfortable, that is um unnerving like as a former prosecutor i understand that what you guys go through is scary every single day like having to step out into the world you don't know who you're going to come across or what they've got going on and so it's a balance of there's a bunch of um uncomfortable things that are happening for the civilians for officers but it's 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 commendable to see how you still try to educate people as to what process they're going to go through. I've watched so many body cam videos where people are like, yo, like, why did you even, like, what am I being arrested for? Mm-hmm. Like, and officers cannot articulate what they're being arrested for. And it's like, you'll hear them on the body cam, call their call their lieutenant, call the sergeant, like, well, I think it could be this, but should I, should I, should I charge that? Should I charge that? And they don't even know what they want to charge. Like, you know so it's like you can't you can't tell the person what they're being arrested for you still got to get approval for the charges you want to write up and nine times out of ten those charges that y'all write up 
it may not necessarily be the charges that the prosecutor's offices decide to move forward with. So you have a couple of things at play, but it's just so interesting to see that if you are at the front line, you are that first responder, and this person doesn't know what's happening, doesn't understand what's happening, it's, 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 it's crazy to think that you would have someone who would not tell them or explain to them what's happening. But so it's commendable mm -hmm. that you're like, okay, I'm gonna walk you through this. You're gonna be fingerprinted. You're gonna go to bookings for a little bit before you see the judge. Like you're, you're gonna, this is what's gonna happen. Like I, I can't change or control what's happening to you, but I'm gonna try to ease it. So I, I told you this before, I respect that. I love how you go about that because like I said, I've seen, I've watched hundreds of body cams and it's, it's just baffling how many times I've seen people not understand why they're being arrested. Of course, people know what they did and of course mm -hmm. it happened, but still you would like to know what are the charges that is being accused against you, you know? Like, it, it, it's just the right thing to do. So, yeah. that. Thank you. That's definitely, that legit happens every single time somebody's been arrested. And even now with the unit that I'm in, so the goal for my unit is we're supposed to look for people that are wanted. So people that are part of um, crime patterns, if it's a robbery pattern, a crime pattern, a burglary pattern, um, people with I-cards, active I-cards. So like a probable cause I-card, you can basically correlate, correlate that to a warrant. You're wanted. So probable cause I-card, that means if an officer sees you, knows that you have an I-card, you're good to go to the precinct, even if you didn't commit a crime, because it basically means you have an open complaint against you like you already did something so it's basically a warrant we got to pick you up and bring you in so my unit is very big on doing that i would say we're just like warrants literally but then we also are looking for other pickups or people who have done crimes in the past and they're on the street and it's just like to make sure they're not doing something again or to keep eyes on them and nine times out of ten they don't do the same thing again mm -hmm. i'm sorry but no it's true <laughs> it's true there are people who they just commit certain crimes over and over again. Right. And it, it's it's not like, I don't care where you are on the fence of how you feel about law enforcement, but it's just fact of the matter. There's exactly. certain people I've seen, there are people going to like Rite Aid every week to <laughs> steal products. <laughs> no, it's not funny. But like, there are people who really will go in there and it's like, you would not understand they're stealing soap like every week. And that's their thing. They like to steal soap. And then and the employees know them by name too. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, there goes the soap guy. Soap guy's coming back in here again to steal some soap. So, I mean, it's I just say that to lighten the mood, but there are patterns like she's saying, and there are people who commit the same crime mm -hmm. over again. And I kid you not, it's frustrating for that prosecutor to see that folder again, because now it's going to the same prosecutor they already got John Doe. John Doe is going right back to the same prosecutor again. So now you have to probably, you can enhance certain charges now because it's like, it's a pattern. So it, it's just frustrating, but that's the world we live in. <laughs> and all you have to do is communicate. And I feel like what a lot of people don't realize is communication is really key. Like that's literally all you need is to communicate. I just like, and I try to make my coworkers realize that we hop, we're in unmarked cars, we hop out on people. You know, people are always on 10. You, as the hood would say, you don't want to be lacking. Nobody wants to be caught lacking. So you just have 
somebody hopping out on you in a black unmarked car, whatever color it is, in plain clothes, or you can't even see because it's dark outside and they just grab you. You probably think you're about to get robbed. You don't know what's going on. Like, you don't know what situation these people are in mentally. That is just like, well, what the hell? Like, I don't even remember the crime that I did two weeks ago, but what is going on right now? And literally all you have, like, a lot of people, and I feel like I've done it before too, and I, I'm trying to fix that, is I'll explain to you back at the precinct. No, 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 no. You're not about to throw me against, against anything. Put me in handcuffs and tell me we out. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know where you're bringing me. I don't even know if you're really a cop. These are some sick people out here. And all you have to do is, hey, I'm so-and-so. Um, You do have an act, like, you do have an active PCI card, active warrant, or the Texas do want to speak to you. We're going to bring you back to the precinct. There has been a lot of instances where you can't even get that out because as soon as people see your cops or whatever it is, they're going to start running. So it's like, well, okay, here we go now. But the minute that you get things under control, it's just so easy just to explain it. Like, there's no reason why you put somebody in handcuffs, throw them in a car, bring them back to the precinct, search them, do the whole nine. They're literally standing there asking you, why am I here? All you have to say is, hey, you have an iCard. Mm -hmm. Hey, the detectives want to talk to you. Hey, we're just going to, we're going to, Whatever it is, like, we see you have this open, we have to pick you up. As we gather more information, we'll let you know. Instead of, we'll explain to you, somebody gonna talk to you, yeah. or just ignoring them. And it's just like, you know they are human, right? Regardless of what they did, they are human. They should be able to know why they're here, why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll literally see their temperament change when you tell them versus exactly. when you I've noticed that when you tell them, they're like, ah. Okay. <laughs> like, but when you don't, that's when you get the the rhetoric, the nasty rhetoric towards cops, or you get them yelling at you, cursing at you. The you know, you get all of that language because they're like, like, like you said, they're human and they can't process why they're being treated in a way where they're it feels dehumanizing to them. But you can't give them an explanation. Right. But when you tell them, they're like, ah, yeah, I did do that. <laughs> I'm thinking you're picking them up right now because of something they didn't mean to go. So they're going to keep screaming the same song. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you did two weeks ago. But who's going to remember that? Like, one first thing I remember learning in the academy was you need to build a rapport with the people that you're communicating with. Nobody is going to want to listen or do the things that you tell them or want to cooperate with you if they don't like you. And you don't even have to like me, but respect things that i'm saying to you and i respect what you're saying to me our you shouldn't if i'm hostile don't talk to you treating you like crap not saying anything and then now i need you to cooperate with me why would you do that if i've been a jerk the entire time but if i've been nice i'm doing not even about being nice if i'm respectable and i'm explaining to you what's going on that person might be a little more open to saying hey yeah um I did do that. Or yeah, I probably do know a little information on that. You get a little more when you are respectable, literally. As to you being a jerk, why the hell would I want to tell you anything? You're going to treat me like this anyways. It goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Tati, so you were an officer during the initial onset of the pandemic. And the world changed for everybody, but I'm sure it kind of changed the way that you've done things within your job. Can you walk us through a day in the life of being a NYPD officer in the age of the pandemic? Okay, so the beginning of the pandemic, it was 
I feel like everybody's mentality was a little like, is this even real? Like, wear a mask. What do I need to wear a mask for? And then you keep hearing like the death rate keeps going up and all these things. So in the beginning, the department didn't really prepare us. So I remember it was one N95 or two N95s until whenever. You should not be wearing the same mask. Once you use a mask, you should be having another one. You should change it if you're going in and out. We had the same one N95 mask for like two weeks. And it's just like, I know this N95 isn't doing anything for me. I remember the first job I had when the pandemic started, it was a DOA. And if no, for people who don't know that, it's basically a death on arrival. It was a body. I don't remember what the specifics were on that, but basically, I think the person had COVID. It was an elderly person, they had COVID, passed away in their apartment. Now the rules for when that happens, you as an officer, you need to be, if you're not the first person on scene, probably EMS. EMS will give you a time of death and you have to sit there in the person's apartment with the body until the um, medical examiner comes and the people from the morgue. So you're literally just sitting in somebody's apartment. You don't know what's in the air, if the person really did have COVID, how bad it is, what's going on. And you're just sitting there in someone's apartment. You cannot leave this body by itself. And it's just like, what is going on right now? Like, are we even allowed to be here? You're telling me there's a pandemic going on and you have me sit, like, it was the weirdest thing. And it's just like, literally all you can do is pray. Cause like nobody really knows the facts or what you're being exposed to. And that's when I feel like it got real for me. I'm like, whoa. Then the precinct that I was in, the medical examiner's office was there. So every body that was going to the morgue, we seen it every day to the point that they had to close the entire block down for traffic because so they had like these huge trucks for for that. And it was, it was the scariest thing. And I'm like, oh my, wow. It definitely made us second guess everything. So we'll go to jobs and everything that was in apartments or even dealing with people face to face, you're scared. Cause it's like one, of course, you should be a little fearful while you're on the job because you don't know what people are going to do. But now it's like, am I going to contract something from this person? Like, do I even want to speak to you? Like, if I have to be hands on a little bit, can I even do that? Like, do I want to do that? Because I don't know what's going to happen. And it's not even a, what the person's going to do. It's like, am I about to get this this disease? This Like, what is going on? And it was very scary. Very scary. But um even people in the precinct, they were getting sick one by one. I, thank God, didn't really, I don't really know anybody that has passed from COVID at work during that first year. So we knew people were going sick. And at one point, I think it was a little joke. Like everybody's like, give it to me. I want two weeks off of work. But it's not a joke because I ended up getting it and it was rough. So I'm like, oh, I don't, I would take working healthy than taking two weeks off of work and feeling like this. Um, it was very scary. Um, I have a question for you because I actually watched a body cam during that time, during the peak of the pandemic, where um, this officer went to a shelter um, for an assault. And um, when he was doing the arrest, effectuating the arrest of the, the person, the person was like, oh, get off of me. Like, I spit on you. I got COVID. And like was threatening like the officer in that way like you know and that's i mean again at that time okay we don't know okay can you get it if someone's saliva's mm -hmm. on you like you don't know it's all this 
And the officer was like, are you serious, man? Like that, the officer was livid. And I mean, rightfully so, because like to say that, like I'll spit on you, like I got COVID, I got COVID. And it's like, I don't know, have you experienced anything like that or heard stories like that where people were doing that to officers during that time? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, even if people didn't have COVID, they were using it as excuse like, yeah, well I have COVID, so you don't want to touch me. And it's like, I don't, but I have to do my job. Yeah. You were mentioning before the people that were going into the Dwayne Reeds and stuff, they were stealing. And when the, when approached by employees, they're like, well, <clears throat> I have COVID. And it's like, go ahead, take the stuff. Nobody wants to deal with that. Go ahead. And again, you don't know if they really have it. You don't. And it's like, I'm going to get in trouble for not doing my job because COVID. Okay, we'll give basically we'll give you an exposure number, but until you test positive, you should be able to do your job. Why are you not failing to do police activity? Police activity, and it's just like you. I can't not go to go to a nine one one job. I can't not affect an arrest. I can't not do that because it's my job. They weren't giving us um, time off. They weren't. They were telling us if you want to go get tested, you need to go to your closest urgent care. I think it wasn't until. 2021 that they opened up more um places to get tested for us within precincts wow i think when i was in my own my own precinct in 2020 when it first came out they did have people come to precincts for on a two-week basis to test you for antibodies but that was it like all oh, the persons in the in the precinct from this time to this time they will be on a day shift they'll be there from nine to three you start your tour at three o'clock, but then you're out the door by like 3.15, 3.30. So no, I'm not really going to have a chance to sit there and get tested for antibody because as soon as I started my shift, I have 10 911 calls to go to. By the time I get back in, oh, I didn't even get to, what, what, like, you're not even providing a COVID test. You're just testing for antibodies. Okay. If I had them or not, that doesn't affect what I'm doing about my day. So it's like, you're giving us the wrong resources. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they did say there has been a couple of urgent cares that I went to and they when they see you in your uniform, they're like, we'll test you really quickly to get you in and out. And I respect it because it's like I have three 911 calls holding. I want to get tested before I continue day because I don't feel good. But I got to wait behind 100 people in line. Mm -hmm. that, like It was just the most backwards thing ever. I feel like a lot of people did try to take care of us. There are a lot of urgent cares that took care of us as far as skipping the line, making sure we were taken care of. But it... I feel like the city definitely could have done a lot better for all of us first responders. Mm -hmm. um, we even, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, we started doing this thing on a weekly basis where, well, it was a daily basis. I think it was around five o'clock or six o'clock every day. We will go and not answer any jobs and go line up by NYU in Bellevue and line all of our police cars up with the lights on and people will come and like, we had the fire department there and it's just like we would just put all our sirens on and make a bunch of noise. Everybody put their lights on and it was kind of like for us and the people in the hospital just to be like, oh, first responders, like this is for us, like just to feel appreciated in the moment. We did it every single day for 10 minutes. And then every day there was more people coming. Like as time came in that area, you hear people banging out their windows with like pots and whatever they had just to make noise. People started coming with signs after a while. And it was just like. We are so unappreciated. Like we had to do this for ourselves to feel appreciated and people started joining in. And it's like, I give so much credit to the nurses and the doctors because they're really hands on with the people that are sick in the hospital. But I feel like a lot of people do forget that police officers are firsthand with people too. 
Like you guys are calling us to your to your homes, to whatever you have going on. And we don't know what people have. And people often forget, like we're first responders too. We're very much exposed to a lot of the things that other first responders like are being exposed to. But because people do not like us, we're just left in the background. So it's like, you got like, you have to, it's like, you have to respect the game. Like, I know you guys don't like us, so I'm, it's not going to make me stop doing my job. It is what it is. So, so my thing would be, how did you feel? Um, it's, it's unrelated to, to your job, but when the city started forcing, you know, the first responders to take the vaccine and it was like, well, if you don't take the vaccine, you get fired. But before they was praising you guys, you know, for being the first responders, putting your lives on the line. So mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? So I'm biased to it. Um, I actually got the vaccine way before they even started threatening us to get it. So I got my vaccine April, 2021. They didn't start really threatening us until like the end of the summer, October period. Um, I only got it because of my parents. My mm -hmm. parents are in their 50s, but super scared of COVID. Like when I tell you, my mom has a whole setup to walk through the door, wipe down your shoes, hand sanitizer, check your temperature. Like you would have thought you were going to a restaurant or something, the way my mom had everything set up. And my parents were very scared of it. And the job actually offered, like if you offered police officers to get the vaccine at the police academy and you could bring your family, your immediate family, parents came straight to me because it was so hard for them to get um an appointment at the other urgent care i'm like all right i'll take you guys so i took them to the police academy and literally while i'm there i'm like you know what for my parents sake i'm gonna do it i did have my reservations on it or why i want why why i wouldn't do it or whatever but for them i put everything to the side like i'm outside every single day i'm dealing with all these people i would not i don't know how i can live with myself if God forbid anything happened to them because they contracted it for me. So mm -hmm. I just went and did it. And I'm like, whatever happens, happens. Like, it is what it is. So we all got it in April. And that's that. And when it came out in the end of basically the end of last year, like, we'll fire you if you don't get it. And it's just like, there were so many people that were just so against it. And there's like, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Waited to the last minute. And they were giving out like kind of like little packages like paying people to do it and i'm like well damn i wish i got paid to do it if i held off but i'm like <laughs> <laughs> like they were really giving us some good money and i'm just like like i don't at that time i didn't get cold i haven't had covid yet i actually just got it the end of 2021 in december but at that time i'm like maybe the vaccine worked i didn't get it my parents didn't get it it's been two years living in this pandemic and neither of us have got it so it's clearly working for me and i'm like you guys have to think bigger like you guys are only thinking about yourself and who knows people i still got it even though i had the vaccine but i know people who got it just like me and their symptoms were 10 times worse so i don't know i'm I feel like I'm a little biased on it. Like, I just feel like, just get it. Shut up and get it. Like, if the job tells you you need this, you know the requirements to get on the job, you make sure you fit the requirements. Now these are new requirements. Just get it and like, let's keep going. And if you don't want to get it, then okay, you'll lose your job. Like, that's your choice. Well, it's just, it is what it is. Like, there's no point in just like going back and forth. Like, oh, but we shouldn't have to. And it's like, bruh, there's been so many diseases. You've got shots, you've got stuff for everything. Now, it's like, now you want to be that person to stand against it and honestly you can you can feel however you want about it like 
you don't want to get it, don't get it. Like you're, everybody's opinion is valued. You can have that. You don't, it's your body, your choice, but don't basically stress all of us out because you don't want to get it. My, I'm still gonna have my job at the end of the day. Like if they told me, oh, you're getting fired because of the vaccine. Okay, I'll get another one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tati, you spoke a lot about a lot of the things you've encountered while being on the forest, you know, walking into situations where you don't know what's on the opposite side of the door, dealing with the vaccination requirements, being threatened if you don't get this vaccine, and also just dealing with the stigmas and the stereotypes. What kinds of things do you do to get yourself, and I guess to protect your mental welfare while doing this job? Hmm. Number one was always don't bring it home. Um, I don't like talking about work at home. That is like a trigger for me. If no, if I'm home, I'm at peace. I already, my drive home is my hour of de-escalate, get back into normal mode. Not, let's not think about my work stressors and start thinking about my personal life stressors instead. And it blows me to limits when I get wherever I'm at or I'm not at work and people want to talk about, oh, did you hear what happened with so-and-so and this cop and me here with this person? And I'm just like, yes. I did hear. Do I want to speak on it right now? No, but to ease your mind, sure, I'll do it because you want to pick my brain. And I get it, naturally people want to pick my brain. It's okay, but it's like, I need some time to deescalate. As soon as I got off work, I don't want to hear about what's happening somewhere else. It's just like, mm -hmm. give me some me time to clear my brain, clear my mind. And it's okay for people to ask. I, It's not that I don't mind, but it's just like, just give me a moment. So that's one thing for me. Um, I don't like speaking about work, home. So like if I, the things that I've, I, that I've experienced throughout my day, unless I open my mouth and start speaking on it, that means I'm ready. If I'm not speaking about it or I'm a little, yeah, I heard. Okay, I'm shutting down. I don't need to open that back up. And that's one of my big things. Also, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I think that's my big one. I, I. I try to heal before I open up the wound to talk about it again. Mm -hmm. So for example, the two funerals that happened last month with the two officers that got killed in Harlem, very emotional. And it was all over social media, it was all over everywhere. And I know a lot of people have this mentality like, oh, if you didn't post it, you don't care. And for me, it's, my social media is very personal. I can internalize and feel things without having to post it and talk about it. And you don't know my mental. So it's like, you can't really judge my actions and what I say. And if I want to speak on something by what I posted on social media or whatever. So it's, I, I learned, uh, it's probably not that healthy to just deal with it on my own. So when I'm ready to speak about it, I will, but I learned my timing is the best timing and it may sound selfish to people, but it's what's best for me. So when I'm ready to talk about it, I will go in depth. But if I'm not, I'm just going to be very one word. Like, yeah, I heard about it. Mm -hmm. how do I feel? They'll ask, how do you feel about that? I don't really want to talk about it right now. And you have to respect that answer. So I'm very big on, I don't bring work home at all because my work is not my life, basically. Uh, I think you raise a good point with um, uh, the fact that 
we are in these professions, but it doesn't make us all one the same. Like we're, we all bring something very different to this profession that we decided to be in. And we, you can be aware of what's happening and you can take it in, but we're all going to internalize it very differently. Mm-hmm. And how we bring it out on the external side will also look very differently and that's okay. There's a reason why you're there. There's a reason why you're in that room. There's a reason why you are able to be in the position that you're in. Mm -hmm. So I think you raise a good point because it's something that I struggled with as well when I was a prosecutor. Um, With all of the things that go on, like the George Floyd, um, the pandemic, the police killings, Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot. It's a lot when you're in it. I know it's a lot when you're not in it because we're all black and we have our community and we have our preconceived notions. But when you're in like the law enforcement world, it's a lot because not only do you know what it is to be in law enforcement, but you're dealing with colleagues who may think differently from you too. And it's like, yeah, we both took an oath to, you know, to ensure that justice is is served and that you, you want to protect your community. However, you may see things like very differently. And so it, it, it's conflicting and it's like that internal battle, right? Like that you have to deal with. Cause it's like, okay, I'm a black woman. And when I take this uniform off or when I take this suit off or when I leave this courtroom, how do I know you're not gonna treat me different? Like, like you're not gonna treat me. You, like, it's so weird. Like, it's like, I'm you when I put this suit on or I'm you when I put this, this outfit on and you can recognize and appreciate me because of that. That's mm-hmm. what connects us. But when I take this off, like it, it, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. So I understand and I, I commend you. I think you've done a really good job um, with all that you've had to deal with these past few years. I mean, I will say you've really done a good job at like keeping the um, balance because mm-hmm. I mean, you guys don't know Tati as well as I do, but she's definitely does not carry work home with her. And I've seen it. Like, she does a really good job at kind of even, like, letting people know, like, yeah, I am a cop, but I'm not here for that right now. <laughs> not what we're on right now. She does a really good job at that and very classy with it. So, but it's hard because when she's back at work, yes, she's putting that uniform on or she's putting, you know, she's back in that role and now she has to fight not fight, but now she has to deal with these other conflicting things. And it's a lot of conflicting things going on when you are not well represented and people don't, they don't necessarily come where you come from Mm -hmm. and they don't look at things the way you look at things. And then they can't understand, well, okay, well you look at things that way. Why are you even here? Right. Like exactly that you telling me I can't be here because I don't agree with you necessarily on every single thing. (laughs) Like, we have to be one in the same. (laughs) Like, that's that that basically goes into a lot of the arguments I had with when the George Floyd riots came out in Black Lives Matter. They sent this to every single one of those protests. And I love the protests because speak out for your rights. I hated the violence. But then you also have to understand where the violence is coming from. And people are going to, people need outlets for their anger. And it's like without doing that you feel unheard unseen 
So I understand, but there are ways to do it. And I remember a couple times we had to do the riots and they get so mad. Blue lives matter. Why they, everybody, all lives matter. And I'm like, yes, all lives do matter. But what they want to say is, right now, I just want you to hear how black lives matter. It's not a debate. It's not a comparison. We're not trying to say we matter more than you. And I feel like that's where the mentality is so messed up. And I've gotten into arguments day in and day out. And they're like, well, if you feel like blue lives don't matter, why are you here? Did I say that blue lives don't matter? Yes, cops lives matter. But we're here right now because black people want to express how much their lives matter. We just want you to know that our lives matter because we feel like you don't know that. And you're missing the point. And that's all that you're legit missing the point. Like Nobody is degrading anybody. Nobody's saying somebody's higher than another person. But why I know all lives matter. Yes, I, black, black lives matter. Cops lives matter. Everybody lives matter. That's it. If you want to protest against that blue lives matter, you can do that. That's perfectly fine. But don't make it seem like somebody else matters less because you feel away or because you weren't brought up like every this this society right now is funny because everybody wants to feel included and it goes into tv shows like you now have to include everything because people will be like oh well how come we weren't included in that well how come they're only talking about black people and it's like can, can we have a moment can we just like have this for ourselves without including everybody else and that goes into the lgbq community too like they want to feel included. I don't think you guys know this. Every single Thursday since the George Floyd protest happened in 2020, every Thursday, like clockwork, they pro the LGBTQ community protested. Every Thursday, like clock clockwork, for their rights and Black Lives Matter rights. So like gay Black Lives Matters, trans lives matter, all of that. Every single Thursday, like clockwork, they did not miss a beat. We were there for it. And it's just like, in, in, <laughs> Everybody wants to be included and it's fine because yes, there are so many different types of black lives and you can do it. Nobody told you you can't do it. So just do it. If you, if everybody who want to protest for cop lives, I think I've only seen like three in the city. If you feel so strongly about it, set up a date and time and go ahead and protest about it every single day. That's what everybody else is doing, but you mad that they doing it. Everybody wants to be included. If it's in TV shows, if it's in the streets, if it's in media, whatever it is, everybody wants to be included and you're like, you can but don't diminish or degrade other people because they're trying to speak out on what they think is important to them. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because what you're mentioning is something that we also explore this season, the idea of intersectionality. Absolutely. So, okay, yes, you have police officers who are Hispanic mm -hmm. and we watch videos of like, them doing stuff in the Bronx, like connecting mm -hmm. with the Dominican community. And like, you have the Dominican officers playing their music, dancing. Okay, so are the white cops going to be mad because they're not at the Dominican event? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. That's not your culture. That's not your background. You can't relate. If you want to go and be an ally because you like the good vibes, you like the music, pull up. But it's not fair to say, okay, well, these Dominican cops don't matter. These black cops don't matter. These white cops don't matter. It's intersectionality. It, you all are the same thing. You all took the same oath. Mm -hmm. This whole divisiveness, and that's the thing. I think the biggest the biggest issue that um, the, the African-American community has, or just people overall with the whole divisiveness between black lives matter and blue lives matter, when you say blue lives, no one is blue. 
like blue represents obviously the organization, mm -hmm. the, 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 the machine, but it's not a person. No one has blue skin. Like at the end of the day, when you take that uniform off, you still are in a certain color. Exactly. So that's the issue because blue lives matter dehumanizes the fact of the, the, the human, the actual mm -hmm. person. And so black lives matter elevates and highlights the color of the person, the group. And so, you know, it's just, there's so much intersectionality and we doing so much divisiveness when it comes to, okay, that you can be this, but you can be that too. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing that I, I can relate to you on because it's just like, I was a prosecutor, but I'm black and I'm mm -hmm. also a woman and I'm Jamaican and I'm all these things. I'm all, I have all of these different things. I come from Brooklyn. I'm not from Manhattan. I didn't grow up on the Upper East Side. Like, I, I'm not like, it, it's like everything about me that makes me me is, is gonna, it's gonna influence how I think and how I view certain things. So the same way how you said someone will look at someone and be like, oh yeah, they look like a perp. Mm -hmm. Look like a perp. They look like my cousin. <laughs> like, oh, what are you saying? Exactly. Comfortable, right? Because it's like now I don't get what you're trying to say when you say that that person looks like a perp when they could be my dad. I don't, I, I, I just, you know, so it's a lot of rhetoric and I, I, I've learned it because even, I think it's so fascinating when you are in law enforcement and you learn some of the, the, the rhetoric that you get to use the lingo and it's, I don't know, um, but it's, I think that there's a lot of divisiveness that has happened, especially over these past few years. It's gotten like crazy with the pandemic, with all the situations and um I'm, I'm just happy to have you here because I do think that people can appreciate seeing that there are people in the profession who still want to connect with the community mm -hmm. and have that human element um, highlighted because a lot of times I think, like you said earlier, the community doesn't really get that because it's always mm -hmm. this idea of, well, we're being attacked or we're already a target. We have a target on our back. Like, and that's what makes us very different and unique because it makes our community not want to turn to law enforcement in times of need or in times of struggle. So it's like, we have to bridge that gap. We, we have to. Oh, thank And I'm glad you asked that question because I have, that's a question I have for both Burnett and Tati. How do you deal with the duality of, you know, being in the roles and the positions that you're in and then still having to deal when you take that off, still having to, you know, be black and deal with the people in your community. So how do you deal with that duality? Ooh, excellent question. That is a great question. Um, it's hard. I wouldn't say it's hard, but it, <laughs> the first time I arrived at the precinct I was working with after I graduated, I believe, well, it wasn't the first time, but it was in the first couple of months. I remember this, like, any day, because it's always in my mind. I'm in my regular plain clothes, hoodie. Um, I have my hoodie up, make sure I put it down on the walk-in. <laughs> like I'm being my regular comfy self, I'm going to work, so I don't gotta put my uniform on. And there's one individual that came up to me like, oh, you're like, you're just so perpy. Yeah. Huh, I'm wearing a hoodie, sweats, Jordans, 
Is everybody else not wearing hoodie sweats, sneakers? Okay, let that fly. Then months later, start doing my job. People tell me I'm good at my job. Same person's like, oh, you need to, I wish you were in plain clothes with us. Like you, you'll be perfect. Why? Why would I be perfect? I'm wearing plain clothes just like you. I'm doing what you're doing. You fit right in. Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> what exactly? Like, and even now, I get it a lot. Like, my, my partner says it, but I know he means no harm when he says it. But it's just like, I want you to hear what you're saying to me. There are times that they'll tell me, oh, we're going down to this area because this and this happening. Tati or T. You're going to put your plain clothes and go. You'll be perfect. I get it. I'm probably going to a black area. You see a white person in that area, you don't fit in. But now you're telling me you need to go into this specific building with your plain clothes. You talk to them. They will listen to you. You mm. think people of color won't listen to you because you're white? Or do you think that they'll be more open to me because of my color? They probably will be a little more comfortable, but end of the day they're still going to share the same information now you're telling me if i if you put me in my perky clothes and put me in a perky location and go talk to the perps what you think i'm gonna get something out of it <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. like come on bro like it i i don't like it and even sometimes when i go and do my plain clothes things i'm just like let me i don't even want to go into certain areas because it's like i know i'm gonna fit in but to them, I fit in a little too well. And I don't like that. Like, I'm just wearing my regular, I'm wearing what you're wearing. You just, <laughs> but to go back to your question, um, it can be annoying because again, as soon as I take my uniform off, I am I have that same target that they hunt for, whether it's my car, we look for people. We often stop people black people that are in nicer cars and it's just like there's been plenty of times I've been pulled over for no no reason besides the type of car man they want to see who's in it and stuff like that and it's not until I give them my 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 um ID or my shield and like identify myself that it's like oh sorry keep going about your day and it's just like mm. I feel like and this has been plenty it's plenty of times that I even like I don't want to say withheld but I'm just like Sometimes if I'm just not in the mood, as soon as I put my window, then I have my ID out the window, like, not today. But sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm pulling over. I don't really want to go dig in my bag. I'm in my bag. I have my ID in my bag. I'm like, let me just play this out to see, like, how exactly going to move. And I think it's just, it's different. And it makes me a little sad to think about it, like, how uncomfortable I feel when I get pulled over sometimes. And I'm not, like, prepared to completely show them my ID. And it's just like, damn, this is how people feel, like... Like, I don't like that. I don't like that. But um, it's just, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer your question, but it's just, it's very uncomfortable um, trying to deal with that Target uniform. Then I'm home in my regular skin and I'm still a Target. And mm. that goes into me. I moved out the neighborhood I was in because I'm like, I don't want to be a lot of people go to this. I don't I didn't work in men. I don't work in Brooklyn, but everybody in Brooklyn goes to Manhattan. I'm in old. I go to Soho. I'm in the Lower East Side. I'm in Times Square. I'm going to be seen. So it's like I was very grateful that my parents decided to move deeper into Long Island. So I don't have to basically cross paths with the people that I see on an everyday basis. But 
I just feel like no matter where you go, I'm always gonna have a target on me. And it's very uncomfortable. Like we know we were born with one target being black, second target being a woman. I put a third target on me joining law enforcement. And it's just like, does it ever end? Mm. Well, on a positive for your question, um, I could think of the instances when I worked with victims who were black and when they saw me as the person, when I met them in person and they saw who the prosecutor was on the case, they were like, like, they were like, oh, this five foot two small <laughs> young black girl is like, this is the person working on my case. That means shit's gonna get done, you know? And they were just so proud. I mean, it's instances where I would have the same victim just call me over and over because they felt comfortable knowing that I was the one on the case. And it's just like that duality aspect makes made me feel good because it's like, okay, I understand. And you would hear them say things like, I know you, you know, your hands are tied. I know some you got people above you and there's only but so much you could do, but just you being on this case makes me feel better. I can sleep at night. Stuff like that. And it's like that's the best thing I can even ask for because you recognize that I like I'm not at the top and there's but so much I can do. However, I get where you're coming from. You look like me. I understand your struggle. We come from a similar community. I understand. And even I used to um I used to work on hate crimes and just seeing certain crimes that would happen against people of our community and knowing that the victims can relate to you like that more than anything is just meaningful because in that moment when someone's dealing the most tough vulnerable time of their lives it's hard sometimes when you're talking to someone and you don't even feel like they're hearing you or listening to you or really feel where you're coming from they might say they do but you really you peep game you understand and see what somebody actually cares or don't care if you if if hearing the n-word or being called something like so derogatory by someone else doesn't really mean anything to you like it doesn't hit the same, but mm -hmm. I understand because I would not want that to happen to me, to him, to any of y'all on this call. And I'm going to fight for that so that it's like, it doesn't happen again. Right. And so in that way, I, I would say that it's positive because even though like Tati was saying earlier, it's not much, just that idea that someone feels comfortable, you can make them feel a little bit more comfortable and we can represent them. That makes like that means the world that honestly just means the world so no i agree i mean i think i think that it's very powerful seeing you know someone from your community within roles that traditionally we weren't able to have access and space for so i think it's just very poignant that people can actually one see somebody on the opposite side of that fence and sort of have confidence that okay you know it's not going to be you know as worse you know the worst scenario in my head there is some form of help you know i kind of feel a bit more confidence navigating through that experience mm -hmm. so like you know the opposite side of that duality i can't imagine because i'm not a lawyer not an officer so i can't imagine how struggling it could be but i also just want to call out that you know it's very it's refreshing it is it is appreciated seeing people within those roles seeing women like you and tati within these roles advocating for us in those spaces um i think i want i want i want to keep the pins on you and tati because i kind of want to end on 
a fun case study and i kind of want to get an experience from an attorney and also from an active officer in law enforcement um some of you may not know but Burnett, tati and i share a common thread we all went to the same university at university of bridgeport so we kind of all have ties within the bridgeport community and right now you know there is a ongoing media spectacle regarding a young woman named lauren smith fields she was found dead in her apartment after going on a tinder date the day before but unfortunately her body wasn't discovered until days after uh miss phil's family did not get the due justice and due diligence that you know a person of non-color will receive and i kind of just wanted to kind of get your perspectives as an attorney also your your perspectives as an officer what kinds of things do you feel could have been what what more could have been done and what kinds of things do you feel would you have done differently if you were assigned to that case okay so i think i'll go first because in a case like that i'm the first responder and then these res these roles come a little after so i will okay to break it down now this is how i will get the job and my mentality going into it um you get a call find a, a female's body unresponsive okay you don't know the what's going on you get there not sure where the body was found i didn't really go and get read into the specifics of the case i didn't mentally prepare myself for it yet to get into it as we spoke about earlier but um you get there you find a, a human body the first thing that you need to figure out is identification first so whether it was that she have an ID, a wallet, or anything, location, do they have any camera? Could we could see if she came in and out of the vehicle, whatever. Once it was identified who it was, um, for my job specifically in my department, you need to find a next of kin. No matter what, you are not allowed to leave. Nobody's allowed to take that body, or if the body does get taken to the morgue. A next of kin needs to be identified. You cannot end your shift without finding a next, a next of kin and, and telling them what's going on. So the fact that the family had no clue and it's like, I'm sure they identified that by, they knew it, it probably took some time. Again, I don't know the, the specifics of what they found when they found her and what she had on her or where she was when they found her. Was it her apartment that they found her? So they, so to give you a little bit of a background, so they found her in her apartment. The man that she was on the Twitter date with apparently called it in the next day and they did an investigation, but they left her body in the apartment. It was, it was her landlord leaving a note on the door saying that if this person, you know, this person, please contact this number. It was only until days after that her family go in and check and see and discover her body, but they weren't given notice that she had passed away. Yeah, so in situation like that, we go there, we speak to the landlord, you open the door, you next of kin. It doesn't matter if the family, we have resources available to find who people are, your mother, your father, even if you didn't have that number in your house, did you go through the person's things? Everybody has little things, you have pictures, who is this? Oh, you have medication, this is the doctor, I could get whatever. To apply for an apartment, you have to have an emergency contact, I'm pretty sure. You put somebody down. Somebody needs to be told. Again, there should even have been emergency tape on that door. The family's finding a sticker on the door from the landlord. That's, to me, honestly, is very unprofessional. Um, again, first step is notifying the family. Second, why is that man not a suspect? That man should have been questioned. He should have, like, 
what exactly was an intox done on her body to find what drugs were used or anything like that. The fact that the family found out so late triggers me because again, why? Why? Like, why? I can't say why didn't end up on the media because for me, I never know what's going to end up on the media or not or who, what the news finds out. That's just based off of everybody has police scanners. They hear when we're going to jobs. They hear what the jobs are. And that's how the um, the press and stuff like that ends up outside to their pictures or whatever. So I can't necessarily blame the, the department on why didn't it end up in the media, why it's not getting as much exposure as it should, because that's out of our hands. But I also feel like it could have been a lack of information on the police department. If the police were doing, or I don't want to say if they were doing their job, but if they were doing, the, if they did the proper steps, more information would have been exposed to the press to put out there that, hey, look, what's going on? You're just, you just have a body unidentified. You didn't even bring up whatever, how she was found, what were her actions prior to until the family makes a big deal about it now it's oh this is the information oh now we have a uh we're in oh, i'm sorry we're investigating internally and it's just like well okay now everybody's gonna feed off of that because now that information finally got out but if the proper steps were taken the who's to say the press would have found out earlier but they definitely failed her it's sad to hear that she was left there like that and the and we had to find out in that way. That's definitely not how it's supposed to go. I personally even hate like when we have to notify families when we find um, their family members' bodies at home unresponsive. It's a very uncomfortable conversation to have, but again, it's your job. So I can't even give an excuse as to why they probably didn't, why they didn't reach out, if it's a number or it's like those things are definitely available to you i'm sure you have her phone you have something you can look at we have systems to run people's families like i can figure out your parents phone numbers if i wanted to so it's just like it's it's sad it's very triggering and yeah that's for my first responder experience like how i would have went about it that family should have been identified i can't say how exactly the investigation should go because i'm not a detective but that person definitely would have been a suspect and written as one. Like, you're the person who found her, that's written in the report. Now, detectives, first job is to talk to you. Yeah, and I'm just, I defer to Tati's uh, judgment because at that point in the investigation, it's so early before it would even reach a prosecutor. And like she said, it's going to be, at first you'll have the police officers who would arrive, um, but then, an investigation to that level would go to detectives. So detectives are way more experienced. You know, they this is literally what they do. They do this for fun. Like they study and look up information. Like that's what they do. And they're great at it. I've worked with some really great detectives. Um, but when you read the articles, it does say that the individual in this case had ties to the Bridgeport Police Department. And we are not talking about the NYPD. So you do have to remember that other police departments that are smaller and not as um, resourceful mm -hmm. as bigger police departments, there could be other things going on at play. And if he has ties to the department, that could indicate that there are some type of internal things that took place that we don't know yet, you know, that hasn't been exposed yet. Um, but I would just say that that is definitely an impo important factor. And if it's protocol, as Tati is saying, to 
identify the individual, the body, and then you identify next of kin, we clearly see that didn't happen here. And if it, there was an identification of next of kin, they were not notified. Why? So, and then the, the only person who made the call, the person who, who made that call was not deemed as a suspect in any type of misdoing, mishandling or wrongdoing. Why? So, you know, there's a lot of questions, but again, that's more so, I wouldn't say that that's my expertise because I mean, I would only be handling like prosecution aspect, but you can only get to that aspect once an investigation is done, once detectives deem that there are charges that are necessary to draw up and then they go from there. They call the, you know, the DA and then the DA works with them to write up the case. And then that's how that would go on. But in this case, this person wasn't deemed a suspect. So you can't, there's no prosecution happening. So that's, you know, that's my take on that. No, but I think it's a good take. I think uh, I brought up the case because I wanted to sort of give people a little bit of content about how it's supposed to be. You know, and I think it's important that, you know, our fellow Black African-Americans sort of have that information to kind of, you know, be able to understand when they're going on and talking about these things. So um, I just want to kind of wrap everything up. And once again, thank you, Tati, for all that you do. I think that you shared with us some amazing wisdom, some amazing facts, and just to be able to hear about your perspectives and your experiences has been very enlightening for me. I'm sure it's been enlightening for, you know, our fellow guests and Quentin and Burnett. Is there anything you want to kind of add to that too? I mean, I am just floored. I love Tati. I love what she's doing. And I think that, like I said earlier, not to like be repetitive, but just because you decide to be in a particular profession doesn't mean that you're married to think the way that the machine or whatever organization, um, the I, you know, whatever the the preconceived notions are that you're supposed to think that way. And people are still able to bring their individual perspectives to that profession. And so, I, I'm proud of you for standing and standing on what you believe. And understanding what your limits are, you clearly know when it's too much, and you know how to like take back that time and not letting people pressure you into dealing with things you're not maybe ready to deal with personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still carry uh, professionalism about you and making sure that you're exhibiting that level of protocol that's supposed to be exhibited. So I respect you. I love you. You know, I pray for you all the time because I know that it's not easy and it's it's a it's it's yeah. I'm gonna get emotional, so I'm just let you tell y'all. <laughs> um, Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Um, for me, I would say I like, like Burnett said, definitely appreciate you. Definitely proud of the fact that you know you are a black woman that stepped into that role of being an officer because being an officer coming from the black community is not easy. It's not easy at all because, like you said, you have a target on your back already being black, and then you have another target being an officer. And I know every day that you go out there that you put your life on the line. And it's it's a very scary thing because like uh, some most officers, they go out and they're not sure if they're gonna come home. So I know it's a tough thing to just even just put on that uniform. Um, I definitely commend you for it because you do it day in and day out. You put your life at risk. Um, and uh, Definitely, uh, like Burnett always said, she definitely loves you. I see that. Um, you definitely, since I met you, have grown to love you. Um, so I would definitely commend you for that. So 
that's of my life. I love you guys too. I feel so appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. Yes, you should. Yes. I mean, thank you for this opportunity. It's not, again, I'm, I feel like I told you guys this offline, but I'm very particular about speaking on work and like the specifics and it's scary and it's sad that it is scary to talk about because you don't know who's gonna hear and how they're gonna feel about you telling the truth or your opinion and I guess it also goes into what I was speaking about that lieutenant who's always vocalizing everything and it takes a certain amount of strength to do stuff like that and I'm building it up to get there. I wish I can do more and I I hope that the little things that I do can continue to make an impact and make people's days and change a very um, corrupt system. It's corrupt, we all know it. Um, I'm trying. Thank you guys for hearing me and- Absolutely. <laughs> We just wanted to highlight you and amplify your voice because, you know, we'll talk about it offline because we want to wrap up, but we just really wanted to thank you and kind of highlight you and show people like, okay, we're here, you're here, like we're here, we're representing us, we're doing this for us. So um, again, we thank you so much for being here and um, to the listeners, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.